Y'all, we are going to uh, look today at the conclusion of Christmas in the real world. I'm going to read a text to you and see if you can guess which Christmas carol this particular text inspired. David writes in Psalm 98, 4 through 9, Shout to the Lord all the earth, be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre and the lyre and the melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it resound. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy. Before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth, He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. What quarrel, uh, what, what song, what Christmas song do you think that inspired? Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts about 302 years ago. He wrote it for his church. Uh, he was a pastor. And it's kind of become a staple. Joy to the world, Lord has come. About 100 years ago, the Seventh-day Adventist uh, took that song and they rewrote it for themselves. And... Um, and, and although you you, uh, you could typically put Seventh Day Adventist in a particular column, um, I will say I love what they did with this song. Uh, they sang, uh, they sing, uh, not just joy to the world, the Lord is or has come. They kind of took that and they said, joy to the world, the Lord will come. They look forward to the second coming. They look forward to the second advent. He is re uh, reappearing. So they say, that, oh yeah, the Lord has come, but he's also coming again. And church, we find ourselves in the in-between time. He's already come. He's going to come again. And what we find ourselves in is this time that can be rough. It can be stinky. It can be nasty. It can be, it can be difficult. It can be arduous. It can be hateful and hurtful. It can be all of those things uh, when we're in the middle of it because we're still in a world that's under the curse of sin. We are still in a world where the curse of sin is still seen as far as the eye can, is still as far as the eye can see. You see, there's things that Jesus did when he came to be born in the manger and there's some things that didn't happen. Evil's still here. Suffering still persists. Brokenness still occurs. This is the conclusion of the Christmas in the real world. I'm going to do this uh, message called Things the Baby in the Manger Didn't Do. In church, we're going to read Matthew 2, verse 13 through 23, and I'm going to read the light print, and I'm going to ask you to respond back with the dark print. Here we go. After they, they would have been the, the Magi, the, the, uh, the wise men. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Dude, get up, take the child and his mother, flee, go to Egypt, and stay there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, and he took Jesus and Mary during the night and escaped to Egypt. He's, I'm sorry, okay, church. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, or Bethlehem, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel was from Bethlehem. And she refused to be consoled because her babies were no more. Those who 
So he got up and he took Jesus and Mary and entered in the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the northern region of, of Israel, the Galilee church. After the Magi left, there was a wholesale slaughter of baby boys under two years old in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. Why didn't Jesus' birth stop all that? Why didn't Jesus' birth prevent Herod from having all them kids slain? And, and, and the thing is, I, I, I want you to understand that although Jesus, this beautiful baby boy, the Redeemer of the world, Savior of mankind, he was born in a manger, it doesn't mean the bad stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't mean we live in a world that is free from, from suffering or conflict or disease. It doesn't mean that we live in a world where divorce doesn't happen or addiction doesn't happen or betrayal doesn't occur. The reason why is because, church, we are still in the process of God's redemptive plan being played out. He's not done. He's not finished. He's not thrown in the towel. Church, God is not dead, but I've got even, I've got just as good news for you. God is not only dead, I'm sorry, God is not only dead, He's also not done. He's not finished. He's not dead and he's not done. How can a baby in a manger encourage us in our tough times? How can this baby in a, a manger help us? Well, we're going to look at what that baby in, in, in the manger did uh, and how that can help us between the last appearance and the first appearance. How can that help us in our in-between time, the time that's tough? Well, here we go. Number one, the baby in the manger does not stop bad things from happening. The baby in the manger doesn't stop bad things from happening. King Herod proved that, that even after the birth of Jesus, evil was still alive and evil was still well. Right after the star and the shepherds and the, the magi and the manger and the cattle lowing, and, and we see the massacre of the innocents, what antiquity calls it. Bethlehem was a town, when we think of Bethlehem, maybe you think of a big old city. Uh, but if you grew up in the Ellis Groves and the Steelvilles and and the Avas, or the Chesters, or the Evansvilles, you understand how big Bethlehem is, because Bethlehem at this time was about 1,200 people. You ever been in a town of 1,200 people, or a small town even like Chester? You lose somebody in that town, they die, the whole community feels it. Everybody. Especially a kid. I want you to imagine a town of 1,200 people where, where everybody knew everybody's name and everybody knew everybody's business, all right? That's also one of those little things about a small town. Everybody knows everybody's business. Can you imagine what that town would have, uh, the, the pain that town would have went through when 12 of their babies died at the hands of the government? Y'all, that town would have been wiped out because in a town that size, everybody knows everybody, if not everybody's related. Everybody's from the same tribe. Everybody's from the same family. Y'all, this was a, a town that was decimated with hurt. Jesus had just been born, but they're still weeping all, <coughs> Sorry. all over the town. When we look at Jesus. <coughs> Sorry, guys, I'm sick. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre. Church, say Massacre. Well, what's the image that comes up in your mind with that word massacre? It's not pleasant. All right? It's blood. It's guts. It's, it, it's, it's horrible. Okay? They even had uh, Texas Chainsaw. Get the picture. This isn't nice. This is ugly. 
It's not called the, the conflict of the innocents. It's the massacre of the innocents. Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. A very similar story. Remember when Moses was born. We heard the story of Moshe being born in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the book of Exodus. His mother, uh, his, his mother and his sister put him in a wicker basket because they're killing all the Hebrew children. So they, they sent him along in the water so he would be rescued. And he's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. And we know that Moses grows up to be the great deliverer, the great emancipator, the, the great one who, who releases the, the children of Israel free from the clutches of Pharaoh. Church, when we look at Jesus, He's the ultimate Redeemer. He's the one that that breaks the chains of sin. He's the one that redeems us. He's the one that takes us out of the, kid in the kingdom of the enemy. And they both have very similar beginnings. Like Moses, Jesus came as the deliverer, the freedom giver, the liberator. Jesus was the Messiah. In the same chapter in Matthew 2, what we just read, we see it all. We see the innocence of Jesus and we see Herod's corruption. We see the salvation of God and we saw the slaughter of babies. In Matthew chapter 2, we see the purely good and the genuinely evil. Obviously, Jesus' birth didn't take evil out of the world. Obviously, Jesus' birth and the incarnation did not remove suffering from the world because obviously we have the massacre of the innocents. Something, something is still here. Something... The baby in the manger didn't do. His birth didn't stop evil, nor does it stop suffering. Jeremiah wrote, Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, or Bethlehem. Weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to do what? She was in so much pain, so much hurt, she had lost her children. She is in so much pain, she refused what? I don't even want to feel better, I hurt so bad. You ever been there? Me too. I'm so broke, I don't, even, I don't even want to be ministered to. Just leave me alone. You ever, noticed a, you ever noticed some dogs when they get sick, they just go under the porch? You best not touch them. That's where Bethlehem's at. She's so scared and so hurt. She's kind of under the porch. She just refused to be consoled. We don't know how many families lost babies during that massacre. It could have been anywhere between 12 to 30. But I do know that every one of those babies that died was somebody's son. Somebody's brother. Somebody's grandson. Somebody's nephew. Y'all, everybody was upset. Everybody was crying. The loss of life brought unimaginable sorrow and weeping to Bethlehem. And she just refused to be comforted. Three weeks ago, I told you about how uh, Miss Pam and I, we'd lost Kaylee. It was a five-week process. I don't know if I told you that. And for five weeks, while you're waiting for a baby to be born or to die, it's a heck of a long time. It is. Um, we were up in uh, North Oaks Hospital in Hammond. Mama's in bed. I'm there beside her. Doctor has just came in. He literally told us, uh, y'all might want to think about aborting the baby. Of course, no, we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. So, I mean, we, we are literally, we're beside ourselves. Two people come in from our old church. Uh, a deacon and his wife. Uh, and I think the doctor had just left moments ago. My, my memory is kind of fuzzy on that, but it ain't about this. Uh, she came in, they're ministering to us, I guess. And uh, she said, Pastor, would you pray for us? No, I won't. 
I will not. I couldn't. Um, within the 18 months, we, we had left after that. But I'll never forget that last business meeting at that church. Ugly. Uh, we had turned in our resignation. We were coming here. Thank God. But that last business meeting, we resigned. And she stood up in that business meeting, probably about as many people in that business meeting is what they're here this morning at that church. They brought everybody up. And uh, at the end, near the end of the meeting, she got up and she said, I want to tell you that our preacher is not a man of prayer. And she referenced the hospital visit. You know, guys, there's sometimes when your pain is so intense and so hard. You don't need to tell God because he already knows. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you faithless. It makes you human. Welcome to the club. Don't feel bad when you're in that position. Don't beat yourself up when you're in that position. But I love you enough to tell you this. Don't stay there forever. That's not a valley you want to build a house in and have your mail delivered and forwarded to. Because that's also where faith goes to die. That's where your faith can stumble and lots of times people will give up on God. But I also knew this. The only way we were going to get from there to here is Him. I knew that. But church, you're going to encounter some people who... Maybe their baby just died. They've went through the massacre of the innocents. Or their husband just died. They're going through the loss of a widow. Or maybe their son just committed suicide. And they're going through the pain of that. Asking themselves, what could have I have done different? Maybe they've been fired. And they don't know where they're going to get money to pay for their electric bill this month. We don't know what people are going through, you guys. We don't know. But we do know somebody who can help them get through it. And don't judge them when they're hurting. Because I'll tell you what. Unless you've walked in their moccasins, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know. Oh, but they're a Christian, Mike. They shouldn't be like it. Listen, you're their keeper, man. You're not their judge. You're your brother's keeper, not your brother's judge. They say, not my notes, but I really need to say this. Why do, why do I judge people's sin greater than I judge my own? Why is their sin worse than mine? It's the way we do things. Even after baby Jesus was born in the manger, we still judge one another. and We still tear one another down. Church, we can't measure each other by one another. We've got to measure ourselves against the standard of God. And when we measure ourselves against the standard of God, we're all sunk. Every single one of us. I am so far off my notes, I don't even know how to get back into them. I feel like an old man. Uh, but after... Shut up, Larry. If I wasn't so sick, I'd get off this stage right now. No. 
but I knew though that when Miss Suzanne, when Miss Diane said that in front of the church, I was already, I was, I was already had my sights on Chester. We're going. Go ahead and say what you want to say. We gone. Can I tell you something? Let me tell you something. Sometimes you got to go through the hell of those things so you can go to the promised land. And don't give up. I'll tell you what. There was more than one time I wanted to walk away from ministry and all that hell. Be patient with the baby in the manger. Because he ain't done yet. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean evil won't happen to you. It doesn't mean suffering won't happen to you. Because it does. doesn't mean you can't fall off the, the spiritual wagon. Now, there was a beautiful story about uh, his name is Robert Robinson. Uh, he was 23 years old when he wrote one of my favorite hymns. Oh, come the fount of every blessing. He wrote that song when he was 23 years old. Um, he fell away from God. Walked away from God, uh, backslid from God, and uh, he gets up into a stagecoach. This song was written in the 1700s, and there's this beautiful woman, and she's singing, she's humming this medley. It was, the song Robert wrote. He gets in there, and I think he's probably you know coming out of a bar or something. He's hungover, sloppy, and stuff like that. He gets up in the stagecoach, and this woman's sitting there. She's singing that song. She says, "What do you think of that? What do you think of that beautiful song?" This is what the man said. He said, uh, "That third verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love." As he found himself in that horse-drawn carriage, he said, Man, I'm the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I'd give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings I had then. Church, Mr. Mr. Robinson is not the only one prone to wander. So is Anna Weaver. So is Mike Fulkerson. So is Cooner. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But church, we're all prone to do that. We're all prone to leave God. We're all prone to backslide at times when the pain of loss or the sting of death or the curse of sin locks us in. This is not the time to run from God. That's the time to double down and run to God. When we know that we're prone to wander, then don't get far from the direction that you know is appropriate church the devil is alive and well and the curse of sin is alive and well in this world and until we're gathered up together in the rapture or we're called home individually from this mortal coil we're going to know suffering we're going to know pain we're going to cry it doesn't mean jesus has failed it just means he ain't done yet let's go to that second thing the best thing still uh, the, the bad things still happen even after jesus was born yet there's still some good news i can offer you the baby in the manger is not letting satan and sin off the hook He's not done. Be patient, alright? Listen to me. Charges have been filed against the devil. The verdict is in. Satan is guilty of insurrection in heaven. Contaminating the world. He's guilty of murder. Stealing. Lying. The devil has been found guilty. He is awaiting sentencing. Church, the birth of Jesus didn't destroy evil. Yet he was born so that evil will ultimately be destroyed. I love this verse. 1 John 3, 8. This is powerful. Look at this. The Bible says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the very beginning. The Son of God has been revealed for this one purpose, so that he can destroy the what? He's got one job. Church, let me tell you something. Our God is not a failure. He will do the one job. He ain't done. He's not done. 
Evil is at work because the devil is here. But church, Jesus come and he said, came and He said He's going to destroy all the works of the enemy. When you hear words... <coughs> I'm sorry. When you hear words like Sandy Hook. When you hear words like Sandy Hook or Littleton, Colorado. Or you hear words like Virginia Tech. There's an idea that comes to your mind. There's an event that comes to your mind. These are more than just small towns in America. They are scenes of school shootings that have happened here in America. <clears throat> the shooting at Columbine, Colorado, really made all of us aware of the danger that's lurking in the halls of our schools. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold stormed their school in April of 1999, and they killed 12 precious students, one teacher. And this is not a big town. I want you to think of a I want you to think of a small town. Everybody knew one another. Those twelve kids that died and that one teacher who died, everybody knew them. Can you imagine the mourning that would have came out of, of that little town in Colorado in nineteen ninety nine? We're not talking Denver, we're talking a little bitty old town. Casey Burnell was seventeen when she became one of the 12 victims of the Colorado Columbine shootings. She'd only been at that school. She'd only been at Columbine for 18 months. She'd transferred there. I'm going to give you a little bit of story behind Casey. Before that, she lived in, a, in, a, in another town. She went to another school. She got wrapped up in the wrong group, running with the wrong kids, staying out late, sneaking out. In her journal, she was writing things about killing herself. Even the illusion of even alluded to hurting other people. She was drugging and drinking. Her mom and dad, Brad and Misty, said, hey, something's got to happen. We've got to do something. This cannot go on. So they ground her from everything but school and church. They take her out of the school that she's at and they put her in Columbine. 18 months before all this stuff happens. Not allowed to hang out with her old friends. Not allowed to go anywhere but those two places. Church and school. Moms and dads, maybe you've been there. And she wasn't happy about it. The little church they were going to, her youth went to a, a weekend retreat. Cassie didn't want to go, but she went. She, she was made to go. It was either that or stay home with Brad and Misty, and she wasn't going to stay home with Mom and Dad. She reluctantly went on that weekend retreat with her youth group, and her dad said she went away a gloomy, troubled teen and came back transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. On April 20th of 1999, Dylan came into a room that she and several other students were in. Cassie was hunted underneath her desk, and Dylan came in and said, Does anybody in here believe in God? Cassie stood up. She said, Yes, I believe in God. And I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And before she could say anything else, Dylan said, Why? And before she even could answer her question, before, he could, before she could ever answer his question, she was in the presence of her Lord. 
I want to show you a real quick video. It's only 20 seconds, 22 seconds. This was taken two days before she died. Two days before she stood up and she said, I believe in God. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to what this little girl who 18 months before had been talking about hurting people and herself. I want you to look at, I want you to listen to her transformation. I think that the way I'm advancing the kingdom is just being a loyal friend and a good example to non-believers and also Christians. Just trying to not contradict myself and get rid of all hypocrisy and um, just to live for Christ. Church, how many lives would have been changed? How much would have that town and this nation have been different? If that heartache caused by Dylan and Eric, what if they would have had parents like Misty and Brad? Who when they saw their, their sons going off on a wrong path, what if they would have yanked them up and said, hey, you're going to church. You are going to be in a relationship with Jesus. Church, what we need is some moms and dads who can see these kids out here on the side, on the peripheries, on the fringes, who are going off the rails. Church, we need to have somebody who loves them enough to say, hey, Jesus has a plan for you. We love you. And God has a plan for your life. Church, how different would have it been if those two boys would have went to a youth group that loved Jesus and raised in a church that loved God. Church, even in the middle of Columbine, Jesus brought the sweetest comfort to Brad and Misty. Twenty years later, after Cassie dies, her testimony still stirs something in our spirit. It still encourages. Today, the devil didn't get the last word in Columbine. The devil didn't get the last word in Sandy Hook. The devil doesn't get the last word in your divorce. The devil didn't get the last word in your disease. The devil doesn't get the last word in your life. Jesus gets the last word in all of this. He's not done. He's not finished. I'm going to tell you why I know. He's coming back. baby in the manger didn't eliminate suffering, but one day there will be no more pain for those who call Him Lord. Revelation 21, verse 3 through 5. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling in uh, with, his, with humanity, and, and we'll live with Him. And they'll be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their die eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief will no longer exist. Crying will no longer exist. Pain will no longer be there, because the previous things, thank God, have passed away. Church, Jesus is not done. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. You can count these words. You can take this promise to the bank. When we have pain or suffering in this world, we want to ask God, why am I hurting? Why am I full of pain? Why am, all we want to do is why. But I think a question that, that we ask is wrong. It's not why, but God, when are you going to make things right? When are you going to... Hold the devil's feet to the fire. When are you going to make all things new? The right question isn't why, but when. Revelation 6.10 said, They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one is holy and true. How long will you judge and avenge our blood? From, how, long will you, uh, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? These are the tribulation saints saying, How long until you do what you said you're going to do? It's not an issue of why. Lord, when are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And church, the thing is, the Bible says he will do it. Focus on the family. Beautiful story. The five-year-old boy dying of lung cancer. Mama never left his side during those final weeks of his illness. She was a Christian. She talked about heaven. She talked about Jesus to her five-year-old son who could barely breathe. 
We're to always give Him comforting information about heaven. In His final hours, in His final hours, nurse walked into that room and Mama's holding that baby boy, a five-year-old. And the little boy said, Mama, I can hear the bells. A few hours later, that nurse came on through and, of course, that Mama's still holding that little baby and he's still talking about hearing them bells. I don't know what it was in the nurse, but Dr. Dobson said, the nurse came up to the mother and said, oh honey, see, he's just hallucinating. He's not hearing anything. He's just, he's getting close to death. And this is what the body does. It naturally responds with, with these auditory and sometimes visual hallucinations. He's not really hearing anything, honey. Mom pulled her son to her chest and put her hand over his ears. She said, no, ma'am, my son is not hallucinating. I told him when he was scared and he couldn't breathe, that if he'd listen real carefully, he could hear the bells of heaven ringing for him. And I can't get him to stop talking about it all day long. That evening, that baby died in his mom's arms, still talking about those bells. When the, ba- when the angel band came to take him home, What a powerful gift it is to know that in our lives, in this cruel and messed up and screwed up and sin-cursed world, church, when we cross from this plane to the next one, we're going to a place where the bells don't stop ringing. We're going to a place where death is dead. Where disease has been defeated. I'm not trying to paint you some picture of of, of up in the sky, by and by, things like that. But church, I do know what the Bible says and I happen to believe every single word of it. We're going to a place that's prepared for people just like you and me. He's not done yet! It ain't over. Please remember that promise of 1 John 3.8. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose. To destroy the devil's works. And I don't know about you, but my Jesus, that dude ain't ever failed. That dude ain't ever had a, a loss on his record. He's batting a thousand. Just be patient, church, because he's not done yet. The babe in the manger didn't stop the evil that happened in Bethlehem afterwards. Christmas reminds that Jesus' second coming will break the curse of sin once and for all. We found two strong pieces of encouragement uh, about Jesus' first appearance that is not His last. Number one, that baby in the manger didn't stop suffering. You know that. I don't have to explain that to you. Some of you suffered before you got here. Number two, Jesus isn't done yet. He's not going to let sin or Satan off the hook. How does the, Bible, how does the babe in the manger encourage us in our tough times? Trust Him. He's not done. Almighty God, I pray that this week, as we continue to go into a time of focusing in on the manger, focusing in on the Advent, focusing in on what Your arrival means to us and the anticipation of Your next appearance, what it means to us. And Lord God, I pray that 
in the middle and in the midst of all the things that go wrong in our in our December, I I pray that we would trust that you've not you're coming back to finish the job. You're going to finish what you began in the manger. I pray that we would be open to your promise and confident in your promise that you will make all things new. And Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray.